Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the professional association for UK film and TV directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy. Today, we have in conversation Sophia Coppola and Emerald Fennell on Priscilla. Thank you. This is so exciting for me. This is a huge... I'm so glad I get to do this with you. Oh, my goodness. Um, So I watched Priscilla a couple of weeks ago and I just loved it so much and haven't stopped thinking about it. Thank Um, you. And I wanted to start with, I mean, the carpet, which is where you start, (laughs) and your relationship with texture and the kind of tactile, like, sensuousness of, of life... How do you, where do you start? How do you start on that physical journey? I think when I first uh, thought about doing this story, I thought I wanted to, I had to narrow it down to make her story fit into it an hour and a half. And and I thought, okay, I'm going to focus on her at Graceland. That's what interested me, how she got there and that she left. I always knew I wanted to end the film with her driving out of the gates. And then the first thing I think about about Graceland is the shag carpet and that how deep the shag was and and really like getting in her uh getting in her shoes or her feet of like sinking into the carpet and the the drapes and like just how um lavish Graceland was at that time and and uh and kind of this Alice in Wonderland aspect of it. So I started with the shag carpet and I that was the first shot and um I always feel like it's easier to start a script but then it's always hard to end it yeah do you find when when you're writing the kind of all of the senses are part of it or does that come later in the directing I think as you're as I'm writing I'm I'm picturing the world and I I usually start with the visuals of um starting to look at photos and and think about the color palette and um and how the photography is going to look and the feeling of it. And then and I listen to music at the beginning. So just kind of creating the atmosphere is usually the starting point as I start to um, figure out the character and where they're going. And the music is so amazing. And because obviously you weren't using Elvis's music, but that actually felt to me so wonderful because, of course, he wouldn't have been listening his own music there's something kind of it made so much more sense and how did you how do you go about like choosing those the songs that you used because they're brilliant oh thank you I mean I definitely wanted to feel like we're in their private life and and Jacob Alordi had to work on his voice listening to him at like press conferences but then imagine how did he speak at home it wasn't it wasn't the public persona and really focusing on them as the real people behind the closed doors so um, so I'm glad that works for the music. And then just thinking about that era of music, which is not, I, I loved girl groups when I was growing up, but otherwise that's not my era of music and, uh, and going through it of what, um, felt like it, it could connect to the emotional parts of her story and, and what connected with me. And, um, and I worked with my husband's band Phoenix, who helped me start to put together compilations of music at that time that, that to kind of find our, our way and piece it together. And she talks about listening to Venus um, by Frankie Avalon when she first met um, the friend of Elvis in the coffee shop. So we started there and then I just kept listening to that over and over again. And then 
uh, Phoenix decided to do an instrumental version that becomes a, kind of like a lullaby version that becomes her theme song. And when she's dropped off at Graceland, there's this kind of little girl version of that that evolves as she grows up. And um, and yeah, it's, it's always fun and interesting to delve into a, an era of music and try to make it feel like that time, but also have the freedom to use things from other eras that, that fit together and I wanted to have a really romantic, sweeping, um, epic feeling of first love and this fairy tale and Graceland. But it is a fairy tale. I mean, it is. What I love so much about this film is that there's absolutely no moral judgment. And there's no reason to be. You know, it centers her in such a kind of real way and actually that her desire is an important factor there, that she's not just sort of some, like, you know, she's not a, just a schoolgirl. And yeah. how do you navigate that? Because I imagine you have a lot of producers and people asking you to make moral judgments. Yeah, no, I was glad to, to have the freedom to make it and not. And I was really clear that I wasn't going to be judgmental about it. I wanted just to be, I just kept going back to her point of view. Like, how did she feel? I, I try to put myself in the, the mindset of her and, and, and turn off the parent adult side of my brain and just remember that I'm telling the story through her point of view and, and always going back to, to her. And um, But at the same time, I didn't want to, like, uh, glamorize that, that, you know, inappropriate age difference. But I just kept going back to um, how did she see it and just try to show her experience and then, you know, have a conversation after. But in the movie, just be in her, her eyes. But it's so clever because actually it makes you more aware of it. The fact that the film isn't didactic at all, those moments where Elvis's friend comes and sees this schoolgirl and says, hey, why don't you... Because it's all done with such... Yeah, it's just it's just presented to us. It's much more troubling. I mean, I, I thought... Um, and I wondered in the writing, obviously, were, were you reading between the lines of the book there or was it kind of evident? Was she aware of it? No, she's really writing it from the perspective of her at that age. She's not, um, yeah, her book was really interesting. It was very vivid and, and full of detail, but it's really like in the moment of you're along with her. She's not looking back at it with a different perspective, um, which is really interesting to talk to her and how she looks back on it. But yeah, what I found fascinating about the book is you're you're really living it along with her, and you're like, "What happened? You, you, you were passed out for three days, and you know, like it just I couldn't believe the stuff I was reading." And she writes about it in a very kind of like, "This is just what happened," um, way. So I thought it was yeah, really interesting to just kind of go along her journey with her, and um, and I was I was I had no idea she was in high school when she was living at Graceland and imagining what, what that was like. So it was it was full of surprises. And I just tried to translate it to the screen from really what was in the book and, and talking to her. Well, and the school hall walk is so amazing with her hair getting more and more sort of kind of messy and her looking more and more tired and just structurally when it comes to when it comes to the kind of writing do you how do you write do you do you write chronologically or do you find these little kind of points yeah I just went through the book and and marked all the points that my favorite parts and the parts that stood out and I loved the the kind of the details of her putting her lashes on when she's going into labor and like so many things that talk about what it was like to be a woman at that time and and how I just imagine like how was she staying up all night with him and then she slept for an hour and went to school every day and she was kind of like sneaking his 
his speed pills to try to get through school. And um, so just kind of all the details. I just went through and tried to pick the most memorable moments. And, and there was too many to fit, but I kept having to edit it down and then just how to string them together and and thinking about how to jump in time. I think when, when you do a biography and you're trying to fit someone's life, or, or the, I'm just trying to give like an impression of what that was like and and um, and find ways to, to jump in time. And I, I always think about... Um, Darling by John Schlesinger. He 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 always has. There was a really cool way he jumps in time in this in this kind of abstract pop way. So I um I was thinking of that too of how you can just make those those leaps and um and I love uh, that she goes to visit him in Vegas then comes back and and her, her mascara is running and her hair is teased and the parents she describes that in the book and I just like oh I can't wait to see that visual because it says so much about like what what have we sent her what, how did she come back and like that that moment so she yeah just kind of going through and picking the moments that I thought um expressed the most of each stage that she was going through I mean it's so brilliant and how did you find her, how, uh, Callie, Kaylee, Kaylee Spaney, because she's so brilliant, but I'd never seen her in anything before. Yeah, I'm so grateful that they, um, the financiers let me cast an unknown actress. Um, it was really important that I had one same actress play 14 to, you know, almost 30. And, um, and I was like, how are we going to find a girl that's a woman that was convincingly could play 14? And, by casting people had told me about Kaylee, um, that, that just someone talented that they always, you know, were keeping an eye out for. And, I, and when I met her, she really has a baby face. And I felt like she, she's from Missouri and kind of grew up with the myth of Elvis and Priscilla. And um, and Kirsten Dunst had just worked with her and, and told me how much she um, how, how much she liked working with her. So I felt that, you know, that we have, we have a similar sensibility and... Um, and but yeah, you never know. I, I I saw her. She was on Mayor of Easttown. She was had a small part, but um, she was uh, amazing. In that yeah, because she has a small part, but it really stays in your mind. So, but I feel like you never know. You you I think you you meet an actor and you if you have a you know you click and seem to see be on the same page or if you like being around them. I feel like that's a, a big uh, sign. Like oh, I want to work with them because I like talking to them or they're interesting to look at. And um, so I think that you just have to go with that um, that feeling. Yeah, and and, um, and luckily I, I I had never seen uh, Jacob and Kelly together, so the first time was when we were doing hair and makeup tests, seeing them as Elvis and Priscilla, and it was exciting to see that they, you know, that you could imagine them and that they had such um, they had great chemistry. But I think he can have chemistry with anyone, probably. I mean, he is so wonderful. And so, did you did he audition or did you just meet him? Yeah, no, I just met him, and um, and he was. I think he was about to do your film, or he was working on his accent when. And it was so great to see. He was so great in your movie to see how much he can transform. Um, so I was really impressed by him. But I just met him, and I met him um, at a restaurant in LA. My friend, my I was like, who? No one looks like Elvis. And my friend said, oh, maybe you should meet um, Jacob. And my casting people were like, okay, you know, let's let's see. And um, and he. What, when we went to, he walked to the restaurant to meet me and like all the women in the restaurant um, grabbed, like turned towards him. And, like he's just so charismatic and charming and, um, and yeah, I just felt like that's, you know, he had the qualities that I imagine Elvis had and she talks about, yeah, his charm and he had, he had to be lovable, which 
Jacob is, and because because he has such a dark side, he he had to had to balance it with him being irresistible, and um, and and I just thought that if he had the the bravery to play Elvis, like he could do it. Like, but we did an audition, and um, I just he I think he was daunted by it, but the fact that he had the courage to try to play Elvis, I was um, grateful to to do with him. Yeah, and but also I think it's such a I think it's so wonderful because. It is like the whole film has this feeling, this sort of dreamlike, and and it's not ever trying to mim. You know, it it's an impressionistic or expressionistic in a such a lovely way. And so, of course, when I first saw him as Elvis, having just worked with him, I was like, oh! But it immediately went away because oh, so that, as you say, it's a charisma thing. It's a it's a beauty thing, and there is this thing, this interesting, almost dangerous beauty that he has, where you feel like you might get licked to death, which I think, which I think Elvis had. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's such an important thing because that moment when they're going to the airport and she suddenly sees that it's not just her desire, that it's not just her, like that everyone has this connection with him. That is so, such a like powerful, powerful moment. And so when you rehearse, do you, do you rehearse scenes or do you just have conversations? How does it work? Yeah, no, I... I um... Yeah, with him, I thought oh, if he just had the essence, and I, I, I didn't want to have a um, an Elvis impersonation or a char- you know a caricature. So it was really important that it just kind of has the feeling of Elvis, and and then you kind of hopefully forget about it, and and it's it's her story with with um, what it was like, but focus on her. And he, and he worked with a, mo- a movement coach and a voice coach to get the accent, and just sort of his body language shifts into kind of Elvisiness, and um but we don't yeah we don't usually I, I don't usually rehearse I do I mean I, I do rehearsals where we just do Im- improvs and kind of spend time together as the characters but don't actually um go through the scenes and so I had him hang out with the Memphis Mafia with his buddies and they would go go do stuff I don't know if they like learned how to shoot guns and I had him start to like order them around and have them all fighting to get him stuff and like just to start to kind of make the dynamics between um the group and um and then Achille and Jacob spent time together, so they had kind of a familiarity. But we didn't actually go through the scenes. We kind of um, just spent a lot of time they did, doing their research and building the look of the characters and then um, figuring out on set. Is that because for you it feels a bit more alive yeah. when it's unrehearsed? Yeah, I think just going through the scenes, I feel like it loses some of its energy. And so, um, you know, we, we block it out and we and we do other preparation, but then uh, I'm seeing the scenes for the first time and I think there's a, a excitement and an energy in that. And this one we had to, we shot it really quickly. We shot it in 30 days, so it was all out of order. Um, and she was going from like teenager in the morning, pregnant in the afternoon and back and forth. It was, it was I could barely keep track of it. And, um, and I was really impressed that she was able to um, ch- know where she was. And when I saw an order that she actually had a really subtle uh, progression. And so somehow she really kept track and her body language and voice changes. And um, so it was really, I was really grateful for her to be able to you know, keep track of that. And I, the costumes helped us both a lot of where we were, like how big her hair was and um, and figure out where she was in the story. The costumes are so incredible, but the costumes in your films are always so amazing. And I think you're, I mean, probably, yeah, the, the best the best director when it comes to those I, I things. I love of that part. Acknowledging <laughs> that it is a huge part of character. 
and it's hugely important. And so do you work with the same costume designer every time? What's the, how do you plan costume? Yeah, thank you. No, that's, um, that's an important part because it's the first thing I think of, like, it tells who they are. What are they, it says so much about who they are, and this was such a big part of her transition from you know, being a young girl into womanhood in Graceland. And, um, and yeah, and just there's a whole, I think, subconscious um, journey you go on with just the, like the palette of Germany is very drab and it's always winter until she gets to Memphis where everything's exciting and colorful and, and trying to make the, that era feel authentic. But, you know, also having some creative license to, to um, show her emotional state or whatever. But I, I've worked with a few different designers. Stacey Batat, who did this, we've done the last few films together. And um, it's it's great working with her because we have a shorthand. And, and I think she has a real talent for um, doing period films with a modern eye. So you're picking the things that appeal to us so it doesn't look um, like foreign aliens that you, know, that you can connect with them. And, and she's really thoughtful about it. And it's such a, I feel like it's such a help all your when all your departments are on the same page and, and helping you tell the story with all the visual cues. That mohair sweater, I mean, it's going to be that. I mean, even I, nearly 40, I was like, I could maybe wear a. But so when it comes to. I can't and I won't. Um, but so when it comes to communicating with your departments, how do you. And obviously, you have a shorthand, you've worked together a lot before. Do you use mood boards? Do you use what's the process at the beginning? Yeah, I know. I, I um, put photos together and references, and then um, and then so we're all on the same page. So the cinematographer and the costume designer and the production designer, we all have um, the same kind of book that we're looking through, and we're all referring to the same thing, um, which is really helpful. And um, and then the cinematographer and I sit down and kind of go through the script a bunch, talking about it and looking at photos together and film clips and, and just kind of developing what it's going to look like. Do you storyboard? I don't. I never... I remember my first film, the producers um, hounding me to have my shot list, and I was like, I don't know what it's going to look like until I see, I see it. And um, I was so stressed about making a shot list, and then I realized, like, I, I don't I don't know until I see it. And so I, I don't use shot lists. I, I rehearse with the actors in the morning. We, we block the scene, and then the... the um, we take photos of the the shots and kind of make an instant um, storyboard and then decide what what camera angles we're going to do so we can be efficient and not. Sometimes you can get lost in too much too much coverage. So I always try to um, figure it out before we start like shooting ourselves into a corner. Um, but I don't. I feel like I have to be in the location with the actors and see when they're blocking it where they're comfortable and what works and and um, and really it's you know so collaborative. I. I I'm not like precise in my head before of what it's going to look like. But I think you can always really tell because all of your shot choices and all of your camera moves are always so deliberate that it doesn't feel like you've had... I think that's always what's so thrilling when you don't have that feeling that sometimes you watch movies and you know that they've used seven cameras and they've got so much coverage that they that there's no sense. Whereas it's interesting that, yeah, you said that you kind of actually like to minimize does that make it easier to work in 30 days yeah just because we don't have time we have to be efficient but also it makes it more precise because you have to decide really what the point of view is and what the scene is about and I think it makes it easier in editing than just kind of like randomly shooting a bunch of stuff so to be intentional about when you use a close-up and when you want to be wide and um but it's really out of 
I don't know, coverage to me is the hardest part. And I think you can get kind of lost into too too much of it. So I I try to really, at the beginning of the scene, really figure out like what, how we want it to look, how we want it to feel. And 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 when you use close-ups um, carefully, then they, they're they more powerful. And, and um, yeah, just having a, a clear, finding your way through the scene to have a clear intention of what you're trying to get across. I think the script supervisor is such an important uh, person. And, and I've... I'm glad I've had people that are like old school that were trained on film um, that really know editing and and I think that's such an important role. I really rely on the script supervisor and their notes. And I remember I think my dad taught me to like always tell the script supervisor right away what you think of the take because you always forget. So I try to give notes as soon as every take happens so that um, we can keep track of what we're doing. That's really interesting. So in the edit, it's already kind of pretty. Do, my first assembly is quite. Yeah, it's not as. Um, painful as the first one I, I remember my first film I, the first rough cut was was so devastating it was so terrible and um but now my editor I've worked with my whole career since my second film um she always really um is in communication with the script supervisor and gets all gets all my notes so she really knows as she's putting it together um what what I have in mind so do you find is the edit quite a quick process then Oh, it always seems yeah. endless. Yeah. yeah. Do you like it? Yeah, I, I love it and I hate it too. And I, I, I do love it because it's exciting. It's the part where you get to put it all together and, and start to see it take shape and put the music on. But it also is really, um, it's really hard, the edit, because it just feels like you're getting nowhere. And then all of a sudden it starts to turn into a movie, but there's just months and months of just like blobs of scenes that don't feel like a movie. And you have to, I, now I have faith because I've done it enough times that I know like it always feels like it's a mess and then somehow it comes together um but yeah it's I think it's a hard it's a, each part of it is is hard and um and exciting do you have a favorite do you like prep do you like oh. shooting um no it's hard to, I I think writing is the hardest for me I think um yeah I find writing really hard and I and I'm alone and and in my head too much and um so I think I think the most exciting is when you get together with your crew and you're um, plotting it out and and prepping and starting to shoot because um, there's that excitement of getting to be with all your collaborators and your friends and and making it happen. Yeah, I mean, it it I can imagine. Do you get nervous still, even having made so many? I think there's always um, yeah that moment of you know I've learned to say sometimes like oh, wait I don't know I need a second to figure it out like. Because I think there's that pressure of like you have to be in control and know what you're doing, and and maybe now at my point in my career, my crew treats me with respect, so they're not like she doesn't know what she's doing. So sometimes I'm like ah, I need to I need to think about it for a second and like pause, and um, so I think it's okay to take a pause. But there is that thing where everyone's looking at you like what are we gonna do, and sometimes like you're you're not you got you have to figure it out and find your way. How do you how do you exert pressure if you need to? What happens when things get difficult? I do, I'm, I'm always just interested in how you cope with those difficult moments when you need to push something yeah. through or things that, yeah. I feel like it's always such a race to get through the schedule and um, and having a great AD that can, like, uh, find... Uh, we had a great... I love AD on this, and I really rely on them to help me keep track of, like, when we need to move on, but also be sensitive if they see that you're... Um, you're struggling with something. So I, I think 
yeah, having a great AD and um, um, and I don't, I don't know. It's always, I think it's just not enough. There's not time to um, second guess. You just have to like keep be moving forward. And I try to just tr- trust my instincts as much as I can and just find a way to get through the day each day. It's just always a scramble, and I don't know. Yeah, it's at the end. We're like, I don't know how that all fit together. So somehow it mysteriously does. But there's like, there's still. I'm, I'm not. It's still the magic of like how things come together. Is there anything in this movie that you missed? Is there a scene that you kind of had to cut for time or that didn't quite fit somewhere that you loved? Um, there was a scene that just didn't work, and it's. I think because I didn't do coverage, I was stuck in one shot because we were being so quick and I was trying to be economical and there was a scene where he takes her to the morgue it's in the book where he took her to the morgue one night and they're like looking at dead bodies and it was so weird that and so Elvisy that like this is what yeah that he would do so I, I had we had a scene of that but it, but I shot it so quickly it was in one shot and it just felt awkward it just it just when I was editing it always stood out and didn't quite kind of work so we we had to lift it even though I liked how weird it was well yeah and I guess it it raises more questions than it answers, doesn't it? A, a date to the morgue. Yeah, well, it just seems so uniquely Elvis, but it did. It, did, it always stood out. So I think yeah. when those things stand out too long, you, you have to lose them. And there was a scene in the script that we had to cut, which I don't know how we would have shot it. Was she was riding a motorcycle like nine months pregnant because she was trying to keep up with him and the guys and be fun. And it, it, to me, it said so much about her always trying to be this ideal woman. And um, so we we didn't get that shot. I mean, the guys. It's so clever, that kind of amorphous blob of masculinity that's kind of threatening, but also... But it's such... It's the entourage. The entourage, but it's such a clever... I don't know, in the casting, did you cast them all to look kind of alike? That It felt almost like people could have been swapped in and out. You know, they, were, um, they were these great... We shot in Toronto, and they were this, these great um, improv comedy guys that knew each other, so they all riffed off each other. And um, that, that was something I learned. Like, when you can cast improv comedy people because they'll just help you out whenever and I because I don't know how to write that kind of guy corny joke <laughs> humor like so I'd be like can you guys just talk about barbecue and like they were always coming up with stuff um so they really they really helped a lot and they were fun to have around no it was just it really it was so clever just the, the feeling as an audience member you're like just go away just go away and they never go away they're never they're always there and, and they're kind of faceless and it was just so it was just so brilliant. Is that in the book or is that your own? Yeah. Well, she talked about how she was always just trying to get a moment alone with him that they were always around. Like a lot of them lived there and when she got married, she thought they were going to finally be together and then like they're always around. So just imagine like what would be the, what would that be like to like always have this um, these guys around and and they were always you know like. Doing, you know, it felt like the cast of Jackass living in your house or something. That's how I imagined it. And also because it's funny that you say, yeah, you don't know how to write the kind of guy humor because I think all of your films are so fun. You know, there are moments just of such genius comedy. And I think for me, when I texted Jacob to just gush about how much I loved the film, I was like, the moment when Elvis is teaching the sexy girls about Jesus and the Bible is one of the funniest scenes of the year, actually. And because it's it's so, it's written so beautifully, but it's performed so well because... Oh my, he's so dedicated. He's taking it so seriously. He's taking it so seriously. And I just wonder, like, how do you... How do you direct a scene like that? Are you always just striving to be like super, super honest or are you, you know, wanting to have that self, you know? Oh. You, 
Yeah, I thought it was really funny. So <laughs> I, I think I think Jacob picks up on like he just got it. Like he knew what it needed, and he just like went for it. And um, yeah, and the casting of the the girls and the the whole dynamic was yeah. No, I, I'm I'm. I'm, I'm amused when I'm watching these scenes and, and he was, yeah. And even when he's like reading his, his spiritual books in bed and she's not paying attention, he's really like serious about it. Like, no, yeah, we had a lot of fun, but it helps to have actors that you yeah. get what you're, what, what you think is funny and stuff. Well, and reading with his lips, reading, you know, in his head, but kind of yeah. doing that thing of, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. wondering if you, if that was you, your brilliant direction or something you two I got think, between I think each other. He, I think he added that. <laughs> It's really a perfect, like all of those like perfect details and and touches that are your, I mean, well, everything that you do. And so obviously talking about the next thing is a nightmare and always not useful. Do you work on lots of things at once to keep yourself interested or are you pretty much a one project, (laughs) a one project? dedicated person yeah I with this I was just really focused in on this and um but when I was uh when I was writing Lost in Translation I was also writing Marie Antoinette at the same time and I found it helpful that when I would get stuck on one then I would go to the other one and and then back and forth so so I always I think sometimes it's helpful to do um two things at once just to when you get stuck you can go to the other one but normally I I usually just kind of focused in on one thing at a time and um and and then kind of take a break to catch up on real life. Yeah. And and how do you get out of, do you find once you lock, it's kind of dead to you? Not dead uh, to you, but... Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, well, no, 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 no. Not, you know what I mean. It's yeah, just like, ah, okay, it's done. it's done. Well, then there's the whole, the whole sound mix is when I feel like the movie comes together and that makes such a huge difference. I, I have so much respect for the sound team because it doesn't feel like a movie until the sound uh, comes in and you're like oh wow these things all fit together so it's that's another mysterious part so that part I'm really involved in and then it then it feels like it's done when you when you have um, the sound mix done but um but yeah no it's such a long it's such a long process I um yeah I, I feel like I I'm just totally consumed with it and then um then take a break in between do you still see things are you ever finished, or do you, are you do you force yourself to stop? I think that's so. That's the hardest part. I think is to know when you're done and to really lock. I think we always drag on, and um, but then you can always change things in the in the mix, even though you're not supposed to. But <laughs> you can. But um, no, I think it's really hard to to finally. I don't know how you know when you're done. I guess it's like any art form that you you just have to stop. Or I don't. know, Do you know when you're done? No. Yeah. yeah, I think you just—I think you just get worn out. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, of course. And so, do you think you would? Do you think now you would want to continue kind of adapting, or do you, are you kind of feeling you want to do your own original? I don't know. I feel like original takes so much more out of me, and I feel like I have to live in between. But whenever I'm finishing a movie, I. It's, I said to my husband, like, I don't ever want to do this again. And he's like, yeah, you say that every time. So, <laughs> so I always feel like that. I'm like, I can't ever do this again. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like it takes a lot out of you. And then I have to figure out, you know, kind of recharge your battery. And um, and then there's always that moment when you see something that catches your attention. And when you can't get it out of your mind, then you're like, oh, I have to do this. I have to, I have to follow that. And otherwise it's going to bug, bug me, you know. So it's, um, yeah, it's a weird process. Do people send you things? 
Do you find like friends of yours or whatever be like, oh, I saw this thing and it felt like something you'd be into? Yeah, it's really hard for me to, because it always comes from something like in me that I'm connecting to. So it's hard for me to look at something someone sends me and see how to do it. It always has to to come out of, people will tell me like an article or I don't know what, but I I feel like I have to, it has to come from something that I uh, click with and then, and then turn it into something, if that makes sense. But I don't know. Yeah. So it's really personal, really personal. Yeah, it always, yeah, it's always really personal. I can't think of it. It's hard for me to look at a script and imagine doing it because it, um, yeah, it has to kind of originate from something that I obsess about enough to make a script. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think we have time for audience questions. Um, Okay. Is it on? Yeah. Yes. Um, it's a great film, um, and, but I, I'm really interested in, in the aspect of what you're creating. You're, you're, this, this film is based on a book, um, and your input to the story, I just wonder what, what was going on in between. Did you add things to the story that you perceived might be the truth? Or did you just go with what Priscilla had to say? I mean, that, you know, because yeah. I think when you make any film and you research, and you know, particularly, I do nonfiction. So whenever you, you, you're following a person's life, you think, well, okay, they've written that. 200 people have written about them. But is what they did going to tell me who they are? So I just wondered, you know, where are you in the, in the scheme of things? Are you... Are you interpreting Priscilla's story to make your film? I mean, that, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky, I know. And I, and I just wondered how you derived. Um. Thank you. Yeah, I really just, um, I just looked at it as adapting her story from her book. And like, how, how do I translate that visually? Like, how do I um, take her story and stay in her point of view? And how do I... How do I edit it down and how do I translate it into visuals? And I, I remember there was a part in the book where she talks about being at school, at the Catholic school, and then talking to the nun who was saying you have to pass your classes. And she was, in her mind, she said, how am I going to explain that at night I'm deciding which hand, which pistol goes with which sparkly dress? And so we just did a shot, we just did a shot of like guns on dresses. And it's like, it's, it's just like finding like impressionistic visual ways to, to try to convey what she was thinking or what she was feeling. So I just feel like it's trying to interpret um, her story. And I didn't, I didn't do a lot of research from other people's point of views. I really had just had conversations with her and what was she thinking and feeling and, and, then, and then using... There was so much in the book to just, um, you know, interpret, like, what try to show what her experience was. Thank you. Sorry, um, I'm choosing this gentleman here. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Uh, I was just interested in your um, uh, writing experience and how you approach it. Obviously, you adapted the book this time. Um, what is your process like? Do you, excuse me, um, do you do you like wake up early in the morning? And you know, is there is there a, 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 a thing that you're actually dedicated to? Because you said that was kind of the hardest part uh, for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just so hard to be um, focused and disciplined about writing. And I remember someone telling me to just. Um, the procrastination is part of the process. So instead of feeling bad about yourself that you have to spend like three hours organizing your desk, like just make that part of the process and then you don't have to feel bad about it. And just you know, like know that that's part of it. And um, 
And I'll, I'll go for a walk if I'm stuck. I think that's always good to get away from it and, and kind of just um, be space out and have, I think there's so, so little time to space out and daydream nowadays because we're always supposed to be checking email or text or something. So I think having some space to really be quiet and have time to have, be in your thoughts and, um, and, and I, I don't know, I find it, I have to go away from my regular life and I'll go, I'll go away for a couple of days. I'll get more done than, you know, six months at home just to, with all the kind of grown up responsibilities. So I think any, being, if you can, just kind of getting away from your regular routine and um, and being able to focus on your on, on what your story is. Um, congratulations on the film. Um, I really liked how you used the height differences of Priscilla and Elvis um, really effectively to show like power play and control. Um, between between the two of them, and um, there's a part sort of midway through the film um, when they're in the bed just before the makeover, where for the first time ever she kind of dominates him physically, um, and earlier on she's looking up always at him, and um, it was just done really consistently. You spoke about storyboarding and something that you you don't do, and you you know you find things in the blocking. Uh, I was wondering if if details like that, well, first if it was conscious, and if it's, it's something you think about in the in the writing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I was on set and and um, and Jacob and Kaylee, there was such a huge height difference. We we're like, how are we going to fit them in the frame? And we were. <laughs> Building all these platforms for her to walk on, and even with that, there's a huge difference. And I'm glad that it. I, I hope that it would feel like a metaphor of their relationship, but but it really was out of. I think with directing or just working with the circumstances and trying to make it work for you. So I'm glad that that comes across. And um, but I think when we're when we're shooting, I'm always looking at you know how when we're picking a frame, what do we want it to say? And there's that one scene where she's kind of asserting herself. So so by blocking and having her over him it has a different feeling than her always looking up at him and so I'm thinking about the point of view where we pick the camera angle and like her seeing Graceland for the first time having her small in this big world because she had never seen a mansion like that so always trying to accentuate what the feeling of the the character was but um yeah in those bed bedroom scenes it was tricky like shooting scenes of them in bed and how do you shoot that and I was impressed that she kind of asserts herself and and um you know isn't all apologetic about her desire especially at that in that era to be so kind of forthright about her needs I thought was impressive and I like that she never feels like a victim that she was in this difficult situation but she has this kind of core about her that's kind of moving her story forward and making things happen the way she wants even though she's kind of stuck with him and how, how she navigates that but so yeah I'm thinking when we're, when we're picking the frame and how to shoot it always kind of what what it's trying to give the feeling of. Um, what about this lady here? Um, thank you so much. Yeah, incredibly moving film. Um, Priscilla obviously is alive and is, I guess, Hollywood royalty. Um, I'd just love to hear a little bit about how did she get a look at the script? Did, did she watch the edit? What was it like to represent? Because as you said, I think the, the film is beautifully non-didactic, but I guess in some ways... It, it feels like a potential grooming story um, in terms of just the facts as they play out. Yeah. And I wondered how she might feel about that. And yeah, just, just those questions and her input. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you. It was really interesting to have a subject that was alive that I could talk to, and she was um, very open and kind about answering all my questions. But then she also gave me the space. She didn't want to. She wanted to let me make the film the way I wanted, and she let me do the film because she appreciated my work and thought I would approach it with sensitivity. So she let me do that. But she, you know, she read the script, and I went through and got all her notes. And she was she was cautious because she didn't want it to seem too one-sided and and I think for me it's really important to to have the ups and downs and show it as a roller coaster and he could have really easily just been a villain and it was important for me to show um, all the nuances of this complex relationship and um, and so she didn't come to set because she didn't want to make us nervous and she didn't want Kaylee to feel nervous but she she spent time with both Kaylee and Jacob and I think Kaylee really got a sense of just how she is as a person and how she speaks and and then the most, um, the scariest part of the whole process was showing her the cut for the first time. I was so nervous. And um, it was the first time I felt like I had uh, this obligation to another person. It wasn't just what I wanted to make. I also wanted her to feel comfortable and good about how her story was represented and and really bal- balancing it and making sure that it was truthful, but also ha- what I wanted to express. And I didn't want to take out too much of the dark side because that was important for how she how she left um so yeah it was really interesting showing her and I was really relieved that she when she saw it she said oh that was my life that's what it was like and um yeah yeah so that thank you it was really and to see her moved but I, I still think she's um you kind of caught I don't know she's not it's interesting to see her perspective now because it's still you know the great love story of her life and I think she has a different perspective than then I see it, and the, like my teenage daughters are like, "Why did she put up with that?" You know, so it's it's interesting to just I think so much of she's from the era that she was from, and and how she sees it. Yeah, thank you. Hi, um, your films have such amazing um, intimate sort of moments that are really subjective, and I was wondering if you could talk about how you build those moments. Um, do they exist on the page, or do you work with the actors, um, especially like? They're the quiet moments that often you're watching one character but you're so present with what you're seeing up on the screen and I'm just wondering how you get there. Oh, thank you. I, um, I th- my scripts are pretty sparse so I can't, it's hard for me to tell what, what you know, sometimes it'll just be like, she walked down the hall and in, in, in my mind I have like a whole uh, idea of what that looks and feels like so so they're, they're not that des- descriptive but I think just once you're on set and seeing the frame and... and and communicating to the actors what the feeling of it is, then you you find that, or it's clear in my mind what it's going to be, and then it's just, I think, just conveying that and talking to the the actors about what what the situation feels like, and and, and giving some maybe some other example of something I, I, like sharing something from my life of how I felt in a certain situation, or just just talking to the actors to to feel like to be clear of what the the feeling is behind it. I think. Well, thank you so much for thank you. talking to us all oh, about this amazing you. film. Thank um, you. Thank you, Sphere. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more directors in conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com. <laughs>